If you have your Bibles, um, I would love for you to get it out. Uh, the main places, the main place that we're going to start is Genesis chapter 3. Um, Genesis is the first book in your Bible. So if you have a paper Bible, it is all the way to the left. Um, if you're using the version notes, um, it is, uh, if you go to the bottom right-hand corner, tap more, and then tap events, and then you will see it's not there. Gosh, dang it. I'm going to get it right one of these days, <laughs> and it's going to be live. It's not there, um, but we will be in Genesis chapter 3, and as you're turning there, um, I want to, we're going to talk about hope today. Um, Christmas is a time of year um, that we can experience a mixture of emotions. Um, some may feel excitement. Some of you may feel like Buddy the Elf. You, you feel anticipation. You are in full um, holiday cheer mode. Um, others may feel something profoundly the opposite of that, profoundly different than those emotions. Um, maybe you feel sadness. Maybe you feel anger. Um, the first person might feel those emotions because they are maybe content with their life. They're content with um, the position that they are in. And maybe within the holiday season, the Christmas season, they just have so much exciting things and things to look forward to. And maybe the second person uh, might feel the way that they feel because the Christmas season reminds them of everything that they don't have. Maybe, maybe for you, you don't necessarily have a close family that deeply loves and cares for you. Maybe you've experienced um, loss around Christmas or maybe um, you're reminded of what you can't have. And amid the holiday cheer, there's a pain in, in the midst of what is supposed to be a joyful time. And so some people are feeling joyful, some people are not feeling joyful. And so we have these two worlds that are coexisting at the same time of year. And maybe you yourself are a mixture of both of those, those feelings. Um, historically in the church calendar, we are in kind of the first um, week and a half of what's called Advent. Advent means arrival. And so Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas where you focus on the arrival of Jesus and look forward to the second coming of Jesus. And so there are four main themes of Advent. It is hope, peace, love, and joy, and they're all centered around Jesus coming first as a baby, but also his promised second coming. Um, so Advent is, like I said, centered around the arrival of the Messiah. His arrival was important because it marked the beginning of a new world. So we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 3. I want to invite my friend Faith up here. She is one of our youth leaders. She is going to be reading. Why don't you stand with me? Um, she is going to be reading Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 in the NIV. And it's a bit longer than usual, um, but I believe it's going to set the table for why Advent is important and why we can have hope in the arrival of Jesus. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the, of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was for good food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from him, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and she will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what we just read here is an event that changed everything. Up until this moment, humanity had lived in complete unity with God. They walked with him. um, They trusted him. There was no sin to be found. But what we read in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 15 is where it all changed. And if you're you're maybe listening to this, you're looking at it on the screen, maybe you're reading it in your own Bible, and you might think to yourself, there's not much hope in this text. And you're like, Taylor, we're supposed to be talking about hope. Um, I believe that there are glimmers, but the majority of Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 15, is a reminder um, of failure and why there is brokenness in our world. And this brokenness of sin exists because our desire to define what is wise and what is unwise uh, by ourselves and not by trusting God. And so this, this sin, this curse of sin brought murder. I mean, you literally go to Genesis chapter 4 and you will read about the first murder of Cain and Abel. Um, you will read about selfishness and anger and immorality and so many other horrendous things. And thousands of years would pass. Work was hard. Childbearing was hard. Nations were oppressing other nations. And God's chosen people had been waiting for it to end, but they repeatedly took matters into their own hands, reverting back to the garden saying, do we really trust God? Do we really trust that God has a plan? But there was this Jewish prophet named Isaiah whom God instructed to call the people of God back to him because they had wandered far from God. And you will read all throughout the New Testament or Old Testament account of this like phrase, and they did what was right in their own eyes. It's this phrase that is all over the Old Testament. So they were in one of these cycles. And part of this call back to God was a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And as Isaiah was prophesying that there would be a Messiah that would come, that he would make all things right. He would bring people back to a right relationship with God. And this prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over this, his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So if you were to summarize kind of Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 15, and Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, you would come up with kind of a main thought of this. The arrival of Jesus reminds us that it won't always be like this. The world that Isaiah lived in, the world that we live in, it won't always be like this. This passage in Isaiah gave the people of God, the, Israel, the, the people of Israel, a hope that it wouldn't always be like this. They wouldn't always be consumed by selfishness and sin, but the Messiah would remedy that. So here's the question, what is hope? And so I looked it up as any normal person would. I went to Google, looked up the dictionary, and the dictionary definition of hope is this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So when we anticipate something better, uh, so when we anticipate something better than our current, current reality, that is hope. And hope is a feeling that we experience on a daily basis. So I want to ask you a question. I will love your feedback. What are the things that you hope for and what do you anticipate to be better than what is currently happening? Anybody? Anna. It's good. Anybody else? What are things that you hope to be different? What are you hoping for? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, Faith. Yeah, it's good. Your bank account, yes. We will all resonate with that. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, go for it, dude. Huh? Early release. Yes. I'm sure you get one of those here in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, next week. There you go. So the next question is this. Like, so we, we look at the, the dictionary definition of hope and we, we ask this question. So if Jesus came to bring hope to the world, what is this biblical definition of hope? Is it the same? And the answer is kind of, but not entirely. Um, so oftentimes in our... Um, day-to-day lives, hope primarily exists in optimism. So we are, are hoping for things to change because we see a glimmer of, of good in those situations. Um, so you see the good, no matter if it's bad, a bad situation, you see a glimmer of good and you hope for the better to prevail. But biblical hope differs in that most times, the biblical writers didn't have any glimmers of good in their situation, but they chose to hope even when there seemed to be no good. And this is because biblical hope is not focused on circumstances, but on a person, and that person is Jesus, coming as a baby and coming again. Biblical writers' hope was based on God's past faithfulness. 
And maybe for you, you wouldn't say that there is any recognizable moments of faithfulness of God um, to rely on, to give you hope for the future, that things won't always be like this. But here's the thing. We can find hope in the midst of chaos in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Let's read it again. It says, and I will put, this is God speaking to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So God curses the serpent for his deception of Adam and Eve. And this curse is not directed towards man, but to the deceiver. And God is bringing hope amid a hopeless situation. How so? So God says, um, Eve's offspring will crush your, meaning Satan's, head, and you will strike his heel. So God prophesies the demise and end of Satan from the seed of Eve, and this seed would be Jesus. And this is also um, the first prophecy of the virgin birth of Jesus, because God said he is the seed of the woman and not the man. And this is also the first prophecy of Jesus coming to earth where Satan was cursed to and Satan would, quote, bruise his heel. So Jesus would be beaten, ridiculed, nailed to a cross, and killed. But most of us know what would happen after that. Jesus would overcome this through his resurrection three days later, ultimately eradicating the penalty of sin and death when he comes again. And Advent is the celebration of Jesus coming as a baby, but also having hope for when he comes again. So we live in this tension. We live in this tension in a world of brokenness, but we live with hope of what Jesus will do. So I'm going to end with um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Remember, when we see a therefore, we need to ask ourselves a question, what is the therefore, therefore? And so verse 16 is a response to verse 15. So if you want to gain full context, read verse 15 or the entire chapter of chapter 4. Anyways, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on what is seen. We we, uh, fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so what Paul is saying here, and especially in verse 16, is Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to guide us towards hope. We can read about the coming of the Holy Spirit in the end of the Gospels, in the end of Jesus' life, and also in the early part of the book of Acts in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is to guide us, to remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus. So the big idea is this, Christian hope depends not on our circumstances, but what on but on what Jesus has done and will do. So no matter where you are at this Christmas season, would you see the hope of Jesus? No matter what you're feeling, whether it's sorrow, joy, frustration, or peace, let us cling to the hope of Jesus and to be thankful for the Holy Spirit that is at work in the life of every believer.
So what we're going to do is we're going to take the next 15 minutes and we are going to get into our small groups and we are going to um, process some questions in um, the context of hope and how do we implement hope into our life and how do we process the things that are taking place um, in our lives. And so we're going to do that right now. Um, The guys are in the back of the room. Girls are in the front. Um, High school is on this side of the room. Middle school is on this side of the room. And your small group leader will, um, you guys will pray together and they will dismiss you.